0: All right. Well, today's going to feel a little bit different. I actually have to sit down while I preach. The most I've done is, is a stool, and so now to actually be in a chair is a little bit different. And uh, hopefully, even just the posture um, communicates to those of you that are here with us and those of you that are at home uh, that today is different, and it needs to be different uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, there's a There's a very critical and important conversation that has been taking place in our country and really around the world uh, for not just the last few weeks but for many, many years. And I guess I wanna set the tone for the conversation that we're gonna attempt to have here this morning. Um, I think one of the things we all need to acknowledge is not just the critical nature of this conversation and the seriousness of this conversation when it comes to to racism and, and to racial tensions and, and oppression and inequality and all the different things that we're likely to hit on today. Um, But we also need to come in with an understanding of the depths to which it has existed and the complexities that now exist today. Um, My point being that you can't really come in and have a conversation uh, as it is particular to our country and and talk about 400 plus years of, of oppression and racial inequality and just here's the answer, right? Um, that should not be our expectation for those of us that are going to be listening today. That's not the pressure that we're putting on these wonderful guests that are here with us as well. Uh, but just because it's so complex and it's so difficult doesn't mean we can't continue to make effort, uh, genuine, uh, sincere effort to make progress and to take the next step. That our generation and all generations before and after have a responsibility to take those steps towards progress. Uh, Racism is as old as time. And we see it played out in the scriptures. We see it played out today because it's, it's a sin problem. And so as long as we have sin, we're gonna have manifestations of it. And so as the church, our responsibility is to say, how do we show a better way? How do we show light? How do we show truth? How do we show peace? And we know it's gonna be a reality, but how do we survive in a way that is honorable to God and is redemptive for others. And that's really what we're trying to do is just take that step. And, and that's the kind of conversation that I hope to have today. Now, the other thing I want to say before I introduce my guests that are here with me this morning is when, when these recent events took place, really probably for me, Ahmaud Arbery was where it really struck a little bit deeper um, obviously the, the tragedy for, for George Floyd, and we all know that these are just uh, several of many, many examples of what we've seen, um, for sure at least in my lifetime, is, is that I think there was this undeniable sense of heartache and frustration and anger and disgust that you f- I personally felt compelled to say something. Right? Like, you, like silence was not an option in in my mind, you know, it was one of those things that you you want to and feel compelled to speak out against. But there was this tension that I was feeling that I would imagine many of you that are here today or joining us online have felt as well, is that right there next to that voice within me that was like saying, speak out, there was this undeniable sense that I had no idea what to say. And I was very ill-equipped to really say anything. As I told you all three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, um, as a white American male, I, I, by those three facts alone, am arguably one of the most privileged groups on the planet. So I don't really know. <laughs> and, and I don't want to pretend to know. And so that tension has been existing within me for the last several weeks, this desire to, to speak up and this other desire that says, man, be silent because you just need to listen. And I felt an overwhelming sense of conviction in that regard, and I, and I would be willing to venture a guess that many of you hopefully had that same uh, conviction. And so that's what we're doing today. We're going to create a posture of listening. Uh, we're going to listen to some of my friends that are here today, friends of this church, um, to just listen to their perspective because they have a different perspective than, than many of us. Uh, but it's a shared perspective that so many other people in our culture right now are saying, please hear, please please seek understanding, and that's what we want to do. And so I, I'm grateful for the folks who are with me. I'm going to do a quick introduction, and then I'm going to let them introduce themselves with a little bit more detail. But uh, many of these faces you will probably recognize and, and you will see is familiar. I've got Officer Billy Gray with me here this morning. And so if you've seen him around before, you all know back pre-COVID— Pre-coronavirus, when we all actually were up here a whole lot more, uh, we often would have police officers here to help with security uh, teams and things like that, And, and Officer Gray was one of our key contacts for that. He's been a friend of our church for quite some time. And I've always loved having the chance to do the small talk in the hallway, and obviously we've been praying for you during this time, and we're grateful that you're here this morning as well. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And then Devonna Burgess is here with us as well. You all remember Devonna. She is an assistant principal at Seminary Hill Park Elementary. And uh, those of you all that have been a part of our church, uh, especially within the last year, know that that's an area of our community that we've really been trying to intentionally invest in. Uh, invest in those children, invest in those neighborhoods, and partnering with this school. And Devana has been an integral part of that partnership. And so we're grateful that you're here with us today, Devana, as well. And then my good friend Derek Bassey is here with us today. Derek uh, and I actually go back to my days at First Arlington. And that's where he and I first met. I know his family. And uh, actually, I guess we were, talk- we were reminiscing this morning. I think it was about four years ago that we were on a mission trip in China, Uh, doing a basketball camp. And so we've got a lot of great shared experiences there. And uh, we initially had uh, somebody else lined up uh, from our own church family to be with us today, but then there was a scheduling conflict that arose last minute. So Derek is here on a last minute request. So a special appreciation for that, Derek, but I really am grateful for you to be here and appreciate your friendship. So yes, put your hands together, those of you who are here to welcome our guests this morning. And so um, I'm going to let them now introduce themselves and then I've got a a list of questions and we're just going to have a a nice little family conversation this morning. And so uh, I'll just let you guys go in that order. Why don't you share a little bit more about your story, your family, just help us get to know you a little bit more. We'll start with you, Billy.
1: Okay. Good deal. Uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm Officer Billy Gray. I've been with the Ford Police Department for five years now, working the West Division. Uh, originally born in Dallas Texas moved to Fort Worth when I was 10 and I've been here ever since joined the department when I was 24 um, I'm a husband a father of two children
0: yeah how's that going
1: it's pretty well it's good <laughs> the, the little one is he's a bit much but I, I love him and uh,
0: <laughs> what are their ages
1: uh, one is 12 and one will be two in October nice so the one that's about to be two in October, he's a he's a character.
0: The twos are easy, oh, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> he hadn't even hit two yet, and it's, he's yeah. he's still he's great though. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I've been a police department. I'm a neighborhood police officer, so my duties are I'm um, the neighborhood liaison, as I would say, between the community and the police department. So building relations is mainly what I do. Uh, and soon I'll be promoting to detective. Nice. Uh, Congrats, so,
0: man. That's uh, awesome.
1: So, uh, yeah, that's it's been pretty much it. Uh, these last few months have been kind of rough with COVID and everything going on. So uh, I've been making it work. My family, everyone is healthy, which is most important. And I look back to getting back to normal things. here. So. Yeah,
0: we all do, I'm sure. <laughs> We're grateful that you're here with us. Thank you. Devonna, share a little bit more about your story and, and your, your background.
2: Good morning, thank you for having me here today. My name is Devonna Burgess. I was born in Lakewood, California, uh, but I was actually raised in Riverside. Uh, my family moved there, with my father and my mother and my sister, we moved there just for education, which has been very important in my family's life. And in that, I was able to obtain my bachelor's and master's degree but in 2016, I did. I moved to Texas, um, Fort Worth, Texas, for the same opportunities to provide my own two daughters. I'm a mother of two beautiful girls, um, so that they can have an education and live in an environment where um, they can be healthy and healthy and safe. Um, and what are their my, ages? Sorry, They now. are 13 and 15. Awesome. So wow. I have, teenage years. Yes, I have teenage two teenagers girls, now. As of April, easy. they are both teenagers, and I couldn't be... <laughs> Um, any prouder of the two young women that they have grown up to be. Um, and I, take a lot, I attribute a lot of that actually to my church home. I go to Crossroads Tabernacle. I've been there for 14 years. I'm a very active member, and it's that foundation that my girls were able to have in Christ, which has brought them to where they are today. So that awesome. is just my shining glory um, as awesome. my achievements. Now, other achievements that I've been able to acquire here in Fort Worth is that i have been a pre-K teacher, an early childhood specialist, a Title I teacher, a dean of instruction, and now I currently get to serve um, a great group of students at Seminary Hills Park Elementary as the assistant principal, where I get to be a voice and an advocate for my students. And so that is something that is meaningful and important to me. And I just look forward to this next school year and applying a lot of my learning and what we have had to endure throughout this pandemic and seeing how I can continue to support children, because I really feel like that is what I am called to do, and I want to be able to continue um, in that walk.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, Devana, for being here. Derek, my friend. Uh,
3: Good morning. My name is Derek Bassey. Um, I was born in Fort Worth and raised in Arlington. I've been um, in Arlington my whole life. Um, I'm the youngest of four. My parents um, came here from Nigeria, so I'm a um, first-generation African-American. I work at the Tarrant County Juvenile Probation Department. I am in their research unit. Um, My job mainly consists of giving data to the judges, our supervisors, and also submitting data to the state. I recently just graduated from the University of North Texas with my um, counseling degree um, in December, 2019. And thank you, thank you. Um, And I just signed a letter of intent to uh, start counseling with Lena Pope. They're out here um, in the Fort Worth community. Um, I'll be doing part-time counseling with Lena Pope, so. That's
0: awesome. And we're grateful for you being here as well, man. So here's the good news for the three of y'all. These folks are used to me preaching way too long, okay? So we we can just have a relaxed conversation and take our time with these answers. Uh, I do have a list of questions. I've shared these with you all in advance. So you had a chance to at least familiarize yourself with them and, and hopefully we get through most of them but we'll just let the conversation flow as naturally as we can. And so I really just wanted to to start with more of an open-ended question where you all can just respond uh, at, your, at your own pace here. At, We've had a lot of incidents lately, uh, and it seems that the death of George Floyd and the tragic nature of it seem to be somewhat catalytic for our, for our country, and we see a, a very powerful response right now. So talk about it personally, and your response and your reactions to what you've seen over the last few weeks, and whoever wants to, to start, go ahead. I'll start it.
1: Uh, for, for me, um, watching the video, I was quite disgusted. I mean, anytime I see a police officer you know, act like that. You know, I put myself in you know those shoes, and I'm like, man, this this is terrible. And so, you know, I think about my mom. I have brothers and and cousins that are black males, and just from what I saw, was it was it was very disturbing. And um, as we can see these past couple of weeks, all throughout the U.S., you know, others feel their way. You know, so honestly, if a lot of folks believe the the video cameras and stuff like that are what's, you know, helping show more police brutality in that sort of sense. And, you know, most people believe if there's no camera, you know, this is the type of things police do on a daily. Mm. And, you know, for me being a police officer, that is not, you know, our job and that's not what we do. So, you know, unfortunately, if one bad officer does something it affects yeah. everyone else and to be a black male and be a police officer has been pretty tough because it's right in the middle yeah. you know the community's like hey you're supposed to be over here and the officer's like hey you're over here so these last few weeks with the protests have been kind of hard for me yeah. because not in a sense that someone wants me to choose a side but you feel kind of yeah. in the middle and, you know, for myself, I feel that it's important that we work things out immediately, yeah. you know, for the betterment of, of everyone in the community and the police department.
0: I think, it, you know, having somebody in your position is really important because I think what we can all see is these narratives yeah. <clears throat> that exist and mm-hmm. that are put out there to where, like you said, you, you ex- assume a narrative about the police force or about mm-hmm. uh, black men or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to take bridges to be built and people in your position are really really important to help build those bridges absolutely absolutely Devana Derek
2: to me it really just gave a visual of what racism really looks like what everyone has been talking about this entire time it's no longer words everyone was able to see what oppression looks like um, what entitlement looks like and I think that is what is moving so many people right now because it was right there in their face and it was undeniable. And you cannot uh, erase what you've seen. We cannot erase what has happened. And I, I believe now is the time to, to change those behaviors and to change th- those types of actions from occurring in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yes, and I, I agree with both what Devon and Billy said. Um, but for me, Um, I didn't watch the George Floyd video um, because I didn't want to, because I was still um, thinking about the Ahmed Aubrey case and how mad that made, uh, uh, how upset I was. And um, just knowing what was on that video to go and watch it, um, I'm pretty sure I would have got even more upset if I saw what happened. But for me, it's the struggle is that there's still two sides to this thing. To me, the, it's so objectively clear what is going on, but there's still people that are on the other side saying, hey, this could have been something else. This could have been another reason. It wasn't based on his skin color. And that's what's infuriating to me, and I'm still dealing with that now, like that there can be two sides to this. And yeah, so.
0: You know, that's a good way to transition to this next part of the conversation is that you? you all have referenced the power of video, yeah. right? And, and part of what that does is that it does create a, a catalyst for a conversation because it shines the light on something that, that for many people, maybe they have the luxury of saying, well, it doesn't exist, right. right? It's not out there. But one of the things I've heard and read is, you know, from folks who have experienced, you know, uh, racism and racial inequality uh, directly, the response is this is every day, you know, this is, my childhood, this is what I grew up with, and, and I didn't need a video to know it and to feel it. You know? So some of us, it, it jolts us, but for others, it's been an everyday experience through a lot of their life, and, and I'd love for y'all to share maybe not so much now about George Floyd and some of the current events, but just you personally, how have you been impacted by the, the racial inequality that exists in our country? Do you have any direct experiences that you could share or just lessons that you've learned and the ways that you've had to adapt throughout your your life.
2: I guess yeah. I'll, I'll begin. Um, it, my journey actually started when I was eight. I mm-hmm. guess that is my most recent memory that I can draw from. But I was a school-aged child and we had a substitute teacher who was white and she told a group of black students that white kids were better than black kids. Mm-hmm that was my experience with education. That was what was poured into me that I was less than because of the color of my skin, because of my race. And that just continued on because when my family did move me out of the city to the suburbs for a better opportunity, I I experienced racism at a higher level than I did even as a grade school child where I wasn't picked on teams, I was told I don't want the chocolate chip on my team because I was the only black student in my child, in my class. Wow. There were no other black children um, around, and so that was difficult. I was told for other children not to play with me, all because of the color of my skin, and that does a, that does something to a child. It does something to your self-esteem and your self-worth, and those are things that I still have to get past. Like George, this George Floyd incident. Sometimes you. You push it back and you forget because you've overcome, but it just reminded me of those moments that I am thought of as less than by teachers. And that is why as an educator now, I think that is part of my purpose and my drive is to make sure another child doesn't feel that way, that they know their self-worth and that the color of their skin doesn't define if they're worthy or not, or if they're can be educated or not, or if they can be looked at as equal or not, but it's really the content of their character. Hmm.
0: Thank you for sharing that.
1: I'd say I I haven't uh, directly experienced racism, but um, before I put on this uniform, I'm a black male. When I take this uniform off, I'm a black male. So I have seen the way I've been treated with wearing this uniform mm-hmm. and without interesting. you know I could go to the same places with mm-hmm. this uniform on and get top service and without the uniform it's kind of you know Very interesting you know so for for me that really bothers me um that I have to have this on to I wouldn't say race me being black but that's what I'm saying so I, I do get treated differently without the uniform on I wouldn't say it's Racism, but it's it's shown that you know this is more important than yeah. what you know yeah. I actually am, and that bothers me. Yeah, you know, being outside of this. Yeah,
0: so. good perspective.
3: Uh, I'm with you, Billy. I don't know if I've ever experienced uh, racism directly or any like type of injustice like that, but I have been in situations where um, I've had to think like, was that because I was black? Um, mm-hmm. One instance. I was having a discussion with my supervisor and I was bringing to her, um, her attention the way I felt that I was being treated um, lately. And the conversation did get intense, um, but there was a point during the conversation when I was talking kind of like I am now with my hands and she told me, hey, I, I need you to put your hands down. And I said, what, what my hands? What's, what's the matter with my hands? And she said, I'm, I'm really, afraid right now so I just need you to put your hands down Mm. and that took me aback because I'm like I've been working with that supervisor for at least like three or four years and you've never been scared of me before but in this moment because uh we're having a conversation and my hands are up now you're 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 worried so um I've had stuff like that you know where it's not actually direct, but it makes you think. And I think that's even worse when you yeah. have to think about like, yeah, you know, was that because I was black right. or is it something else? Um,
0: I think that that thought is a great <clears throat> indicator of the difference, right? Mm-hmm. That there are probably many of us, I would be the first to confess that I've probably never been in a situation where I walked out going, why was that? Was that because I was white? You know, like aggression or fear, or anything similar. Yeah. And so the fact that You've had to ask that question, whether it was intentionally prejudiced or not, um, is I think a pretty good indicator of what society is like and how it's different for those. And so I was going to actually circle back around to you too. How has it impacted parenting for you? How, do you feel like you've had to teach your children, you know, to a certain awareness of it, and what has that looked like? I don't know if you have or haven't. That's not on your list. I'm throwing well, that well, one off. So. No,
1: that's it's it's completely fine with. Um, well, my son right now he's very young, so um, he's not there yet. But my daughter, she's 12. She's she'll be going to the seventh grade, and we have talks about that all the time. And I always tell her about being treated equal, equally. And if she feels that she's not being treated fairly, then she needs to speak out because um, these are different times, and we need to get that nipped yeah. in the bud quickly. Yeah, you know so. She, my daughter, her school is. Um, it's not a predominant white or black. It's a. It's actually a great mixture. So, and she's very sociable. So my daughter fits in, and she understands the importance of every race, including hers. Mm. So um, she gets it, and so far so good. We haven't had any issues. Good. So,
0: yeah. good. how about you, Devonta?
2: Same for my children. We've absolutely had a conversation about race and have to revisit it since the George Floyd Floyd, um, incident. And I asked them just how are they feeling about that? And they're just sad and they just cannot believe because fortunately it's ironic in California I've experienced most of that racism, but in Texas, the South, Mm -hmm. I have not experienced overt and direct racism. And my daughters have not, I think there was one time when it was called black as a rock, but it wasn't anything cruel. It was just kids being kids. Yeah. Um, so they haven't had to have any direct interactions, but I always hide in their awareness even um, with, with the police and how their mannerisms should be around police officers so that they do not come across as aggressive. Mm -hmm. and that they are being compliant and following directives so that I can keep them safe. And I have to tell them that their race matters, their skin color matters, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, So they're aware of that, but we don't allow it to control our lives. Mm -hmm. But it is definite awareness.
0: Absolutely. So this is a a very difficult question (laughs) because it's uh, so broad and so general. But uh, I think for, for just the benefit of the dialogue and the conversation, um, when you see all the uh, demonstrations that are taking place right now, there's a voice that wants to be heard, right? And so if you were gonna do your best to try to summarize like what, what you you feel like people are trying to say, you know, uh, a perspective of this is what it means to be a black man in this country. This is, this is what it means to be a black woman in this country. This is why it's challenging. That's a very broad question, but how would you try, how would you try to summarize kind of the sentiments of these demonstrations and the voices that are being offered?
3: Um, I would summarize it in one or a couple words just like we want respect. That's what I hear in in those demonstrations is respect us Um, because we don't feel like our lives are being valued at all. You know, Um, the reason why I was so upset with the Ahmed Aubrey case was he was murdered by three individuals and there was video that went around and it took social media outcry for those men to be charged. Yeah. And so like when you hear the words black lives matter, that is what that means. Like mm-hmm. if there wasn't social media outcry, mm-hmm. those murderers would have just been able to continue yeah. without even being charged. Yeah. So that's when you see people go to the streets and you see that peaceful protesting can only go so far when you get this type of just disrespect and thrown into your face. So. I'll just summarize it in people just saying they want to be respected and their lives to be valued.
2: What comes to mind is just justice for all. Every morning in school, we say the pledge, mm-hmm. and that does not apply right now to some of our children. They don't feel that there's justice for all, and we, it's just the desire for equal treatment mm-hmm. and to, to have the same Accountability that any other person would, and not it be based around your skin color.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's good. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with uh, both. With being on the front lines, there last night, night before, almost every night, just being out there and and uh, listening to the outcries. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of angry angry folks because, like you said, they want the respect, they want to be heard, they do not feel like. Their lives matter. Any. That's why they constantly scream "Black Lives Matter." If no one knows, because they feel like, you know what, in America, no one cares what a black life is. You know, and the the deal with the, the white privilege and and all this other stuff, it's um to them, it's just it's not fair, and they're tired of talking. Yeah. And you know, they feel like. If I have to tear stuff up for you to listen to me, yeah. then that's what I'm gonna do, yeah. you know, because they've been talking for over 400 years, Right. and this same stuff keeps being revisited. Mm-hmm. So, now we're gonna tear stuff up, even though it's our own, we're gonna tear it up if that's what it takes yeah. to be heard, so.
0: I had a, a powerful conversation with a friend of mine who's an African-American pastor in Fort yeah. Worth who, who was mentioning the the demonstrations and saying, you know, one of the things that is so hard is to see the oppression, the inequality, and then not be given a space to be upset about it. You know, it's like, I'm upset, and I wanna be upset, and and people show their frustration in many different ways, and he said, but just allowing space for people to be angry is really important, and to be heard, and I thought that was really powerful, and and I think that's uh, hopefully something that we can continue to do. As a society, and and obviously within the church as well, which which leads to uh, another reason the three of y'all are here is you each have a very unique role within the community, Mm -hmm. Um, and so you've you've seen it personally, you've seen it um, in a lot of different avenues. But but talk a little bit about your field. You know, Derek, you've you've worked with juvenile detention research. Devana, you're in education. You know, Billy, you're in the police force. Uh, If y'all could each just take a time and, and just say, here's Here's how I see the way things could be improved, like in education. We'll start with you, Devona. In education, here's here's where schools can be improved, or here's how we can help schools. You know what I'm saying? Just in your, in your area, how have you seen racial inequality, and how can we be more mindful of how to help?
2: Uh, I first like to say I'm just proud of my superintendent for, for speaking out and denouncing um, any forms of racism and making a personal commitment to um, anti-racism. Yeah. Uh, We've actually, in my district, have made a very conscious effort to kind of erase some of those disparities that exist. We do acknowledge that they are there, and we actually have an equity and excellence team Every most schools, I won't say every school, has an equity team designed to be on the campus so that we can track and look at the disparity between the high incidence of um, discipline referrals with our African-American students and the performance gaps, and what do we do to address the needs of those students. And through these talks, we have very courageous conversations. We do discuss white privilege. We do talk about the inequities. and how to address that and one of the solutions is um, culturally responsive teaching practices and making sure that we are aware of all of the learners in our classroom and that we're meeting the needs and if we have a discipline problem, it could be a culture and climate problem and we need Mm -hmm. to start with ourselves first within in order to address the outward behaviors that are occurring in our classroom, so that we can then get to the academics to start closing that gap Decreasing deferrals, referral, um, discipline referrals, and then in, in decreasing that achievement gap between our, black, our African-American students and the Anglo community. Um, that is where we're going to start seeing that changes first within ourselves, recognizing our own biases, knowing that there are different teaching practices that need to be put into place in order to reach the needs of all of our students and not just some of our students.
0: Mm, that's good. That's really good. Derek, how about you? I mean, your research, juvenile. You yeah.
3: Um it's an interesting question because immediately I, I think that a lot of the changes that need to happen are are in house. I'm not sure how the community could could help, but then I started to think about it a little more. Like with juvenile justice, um, the judges that sit on the bench are uh, elected officials, and I think it's very important. Um, as citizens that have the right to vote to really do some deep diving into the people that you're voting for and not just um you know just go straight down the ballot because um we had a election a couple of years ago and we got a new judge in that didn't have any experience and i did see that the effect it was having on the on the children hmm. um so that would just B, my suggestion is to um, really do some deep diving into the, to the people that you're electing into, the, into these offices and seats.
0: That's great, great mm-hmm. insight. Yeah. Billy, you've, you've got a very important perspective uh, as a officer mm-hmm. in, in your discussions within the police force. What are y'all hoping for from the community and, and how do we help support officers but also be sensitive to the tension that exists out there right now?
1: But most importantly, uh, trust, you know, trust is th- the biggest issue right now, as more so in the black community than it is anywhere else. So um, first, like, you know, like they said, it's it's in-house. So we have to acknowledge there's certain uh, biases or racism or prejudice, all that stuff exists. It does exist, you can't deny it. What you need to do is, you know, face it and see how you can you know, move forward and to prevent it in the future. So uh, we've had several talks. We now have a, uh, uh, I forgot what her name is, but she kind of, like, not overseas, but it's a civilian who kind of, you know, looks at our policies and stuff like that, make sure it's beneficial for everyone yeah. in the community, not just police officers. Uh, we started different groups. We started uh, implementing uh, citizens into our training um, so when I recruit training at the end, you have your patrol procedures and your officer survival. So we have actors that we use from the community, but most of them have been a little bit older, yeah. you know. and it's, it's not as real as what they're gonna see in the field. So we start bringing um, any volunteers from the black community after the screening or whatnot, to really get a feel of what you're gonna see. So mm-hmm. when you get out, you're not scared of the the hand moving. That's that's just that's a culture thing. Yeah, you know. So it's it's not something you should feel threatened. So you should want to see what you're gonna get. You know, see it before you get out there to hopefully prevent you know any miscommunication gotcha. in the future. So that's important. We also um, in our scenarios revisited. Let's um, say kind of some stuff that made the news, Mm -hmm. different scenarios that we've been involved in that Mm -hmm. you've seen on the news with, you know, whether it's uh, an officer-involved shooting or anything like that. And we let those guys revisit those scenarios to fix it, you know, before they get out. And if we see anything that we might think, hey, we need to pull this guy to the side and talk to him about some of his, you know – prejudices or yeah. whatever he might have stopped this person for this reason, then we kinda of, we're trying to hit it before it gets even yeah. before they hit the field. Yeah. So that's uh, the training has revamped in a whole new different
0: That's been one of my <clears throat> questions and, and thoughts was it's a heart issue. Mm-hmm. You know, and so how do you how do we get to the heart before the, you know, person of prejudice and, and racist tendencies gets in a position of power. Like, how do you get to the heart? And right. one of the questions <clears throat> that, uh, you know, I've mentioned to you guys, and we've already hit on a little bit of it, and Derek bringing up voting and, and uh, other, other things you guys talked about, respect. What are some practical changes that you think we as a society should pursue to, to help alleviate the racial tensions that exist? Do you all have any thoughts or suggestions? This is, this is the pressure of how do you solve 400 years of yeah, know, racial yeah, inequality, not, right? Just, I'm I'm right? I told you I wasn't going to put that pressure on you, but if you have practical suggestions, I'd, I'd love to hear them.
3: Okay. Uh, I don't have any practical solutions, but just like you said, this is, a, this is a hard thing. So we all have prejudices. We all have preconceived notions, but I think it's very important for us to challenge those prejudices and those preconceived notions before we make action. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like there's this thing called white guilt Mm -hmm. that I think, um, people let eat away at them. But I, for me, I don't think that, um, you should let that deter you from getting to the, the root of. Of your, of your thoughts and, and why you feel a certain way to certain people you have to challenge them and it's not going to be easy it's going to be hard but you have to you have to confront those within yourselves yeah like I, I don't as a black man i don't know how to practically walk you through that but i do know it needs to happen you have to challenge those yeah. um, those root thoughts and know where they're coming from and uh, in yeah. order to change
0: them If it's a heart issue, then it has to start with us looking inside our own hearts. That's true. Yeah. That's good.
2: I can absolutely um, echo Derek's sentiment, and that's why it was so hard to answer this question because how do you change someone's mindset? How do Mm -hmm. you change their heart? Mm -hmm. Um, But there could be some policies and higher accountability for when we do act on those heart issues and just making it very clear that it will not be tolerated and it has to be a... a, um, it's not okay, right. and it has to be written in policy that it's not okay, and the only way for that to change is for us to go vote, mm-hmm. and you also, Derek also hit on that, and that's how you you have that changes, by putting in the policies, putting in the reform. I know Betsy Price has put in a lot of different reforms um, just recently, and she's been very vocal about that, and now just voting those things into policy.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: For me, I think... Um, Firstly, if if you see someone you know that that are saying things that you know that might not be right or maybe racial, whatever, if you're identified and you have to say something, um, normally folks just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they just let them do it. No one challenges that person to think differently. So if you don't challenge that person to think differently, then they're gonna always think like that. So you might can't change everyone. Um, all at the same time, but you can, if you reach one, then that's good enough, that one can reach the next one, because if he thinks like that, then maybe his son or nephew. And it's it's a teaching thing. Um, You know, no one is bigger than the next. So if I say something that's out of line, you know, I expect Derek to say, hey, man, no, this is how it should be or whatever, and we need to have conversations. So... I think more conversations need to be made with certain individuals that we all may know. We just never said anything, yeah. and I think it starts with that. So yeah. identify and mm-hmm. speak up and say something. Say how you feel because, you know, you may feel a certain way, and, and unless we talk about it, yeah. I would never know you feel that way. I'm right. going to continue to feel how I feel yeah. because I've been feeling this way for 29 years, mm-hmm. you know. So that's all it is, I, I think uh once we start having conversations with certain individuals that we know personally, we all know someone who thinks a little bit off. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that a start change. to That's, kind yeah. of teach each person.
0: You know, one of the, the things I'll, I'll add to that is something I think I've shared on Sunday mornings uh, at some point, but, you know, accountability is hard no matter what. And so I think y'all have all hit on what is so critical to it. Number one it has to start within. If this is a hard issue, we all have to be willing to ask ourselves the tough question. right? None of us is immune to it. It's so easy to read through the scriptures and see a tough teaching and, and, and come up with a list of names of people that you know that really need to work on it, you know, and then just skip right on over your own name. And, and what we all have to do is say, i got to look within and be willing to confess and repent of, of these tendencies that I have, whatever they are, no matter how I would categorize them. And then when we see tendencies in others, one of the things that I think is so uh, important with conflict and accountability, uh, I share this with the church or at least the staff all the time, time, tone, and place. If you're sitting there thinking, man, that'd be really hard to have a conversation with somebody that I'm seeing in my family or a friend that's got those prejudices, time, tone, and place. Choose the right time to have the conversation, the right tone to have the conversation, the right place to have it, and you can talk about just about anything. So definitely some great words. Look within, look around you, and and speak up and be willing to have those tough conversations. I'm gonna gonna transition this because you all uh, have identified, I think very importantly and correctly, that it really is a heart issue. And and when we ask ourselves, well, how do you get to the heart? Well, praise God, we have Jesus Christ, right? He gets to the heart. And it's, I know, impacted each of you individually. So so to kind of transition to this section of the questions, share a little bit about your faith and, and really how being a black man or black woman has also shaped and enriched your faith on some level. So I'll just open it up for whoever wants to start on that.
1: I'll start. Um, I'm, I'm a Christian firm believer of God. Um, due to work, I haven't been able to get into church a lot, but um, when I can, I will go and I listen. And, you know, for me, uh, I just believe in, in my faith and that God's going to fix everything you know so i'll pray to god um i pray that he listens and hears what where i'm coming from mm-hmm. and fixes it so i know it sounds you know, that's it's good out there. but I, that's <laughs> that's me and um you know so far i've been blessed and i want to continue to be blessed and, and uh he's guiding me where i need to be so Amen. i'm i'm gonna keep following and
0: we're, we're grateful for what you do Absolutely. for us on sundays for thank sure you, thank you devonna Derek. how about y'all
2: I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. Uh, It's something that's just been a part of my journey my whole life, but I really feel like I've just had a true encounter since I've moved out here and really just allow Holy Spirit to just consume me. That is my daily prayer is so that my walk becomes his walk. My words become his word. Mm -hmm. I begin to see through his eyes and, and hear with his ears and just allow um, the word to, to transform me and that is just um, what I'm seeking is that this that process of sanctification and really allowing people to see Jesus through me like yeah. allowing my walk to be a testimony allowing myself to just be used um, wherever I go whatever platform I have okay. and uh, have them the want that same desire of well why is she always so happy what is she blowing that off for and it's not that I'm blowing it off but I know that God is taking care of all of my needs I know that he goes before me and being able to share Christ with those around me is just um, where I am in my journey yes. and how I want to be used
0: it's awesome That's wonderful.
3: Um, yes uh, I have the same, same sentiments as uh, both of you guys um, I've been a believer since I was um, a young kid I grew up in the church um, and you know, for me, God has never failed me. Man has, man has failed me, but God has never failed me. So, you know, I just continue to lean on him, even though times are tough. And the interesting part is in the Bible, there's not one person that had it easy. And so that's what I kind of lean back on. You know, it's not like Moses had it easy or Paul had it easy. Yeah. They all went through their struggles. Yeah. So, um, yeah.
0: It's good. And it? it's powerful. It's a very relatable for all of us. So I use that as a transition to say, let's talk about what the church can do to be a part of this process towards racial reconciliation. Because to set up this next question, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a personal level of confession for these last few weeks, and, and also try to bring in uh, the church into it as well. So one of the things that I, I walked away firmly believing was you know, because it's a heart thing, um, you can change policies, you can change uh, you know, legislation, all those different things, which probably in some ways needs to be changed, but, but it has to take place in a very relational, gut-riching level. And what I realize is that the only way that ever really happens is to have genuine relationships with people that mm-hmm. don't look like you, mm-hmm. don't think like you, have a different experience than you, so that you have meaningful conversations. And when I looked at my own life, I just realized the friends that I have that are African American, that are more than acquaintances, more than shared experiences like I have the three of y'all, but the folks that have genuinely like I've poured into and we like know each other, I don't really have those. And I just confessed that to, to God and just said I want that to change because obviously my life is pretty insulated and is more or less surrounded with people that are much like me. And so I'll I'll identify the problem that exists for me, exists for this church. We're a predominantly white church. Not exclusively white, but I'll just be very honest, the list of people that I could call to have this conversation was a short list. And I don't like that. And I don't want that for our church. And we shouldn't want that for our church. And so, I read the scriptures and I see what is so powerful about the gospel is regardless of tongue, tribe, nation, race, color, creed, you were one in Jesus Christ. And yet one of the issues that I sense that exists within churches, not all churches, but I know it's one that I'm dealing with personally and I think our church needs to deal with is how do you build bridges? How does a church get beyond that sort of segregated life that still kind of exists. And so, this is a very difficult question, but somewhat of a pointed question. It's kind of twofold. Number one, what would you like to see from the church to help towards this, but even more importantly, what can a church do to let you know you're welcome here and you're not in a minority, or you're surrounded by people that may not understand or have different experiences than you? Help us understand what that might be like from your perspective.
1: Okay. Well, um, first, I mean, um, there's so many churches, mm-hmm. you know, that I I think this church and other churches they do a very good job, very welcoming people, mm-hmm. very nice, very friendly folks. So it's more so I would say the the environment. I mean, most folks go to their church that's close that's mm-hmm. close to them or they've been raised going for forever. Right. You know, so um, it's one of those things I I don't think that the church is necessarily doing anything wrong. You know, it's I I guess where it's at. Yeah. You know, so if your church is in the TCU area and you live over in the Como area, there're 20 churches in Como. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm probably going to go to one of those churches right. with, you know, folks that and I I believe there is a, a some type of segregated line yeah. because you want to be around people you feel like understand you right you know you don't want to be the only black person at right. this church yeah you <laughs> know so I would rather just go and be where there's a ton of other black people right and and um, that does need to change but I I do I do think would it been an abundance of churches mm. you know if there was maybe one or two churches you know I, you would see more right. but there's so many yeah. that you just either go to where you're comfortable going or where you've been going forever, um, or you go to the closest one. But yeah. if you are, I would say community outreach, and I think you guys have done that before. Y'all reached out to me, y'all, y'all have done that. Oh, so yeah. you're doing your part um, as far as being out there, being in the community, mm-hmm. uh, letting folks know, hey, we're open, we're here. Uh, if you want to attend, we'd love to have you. Yeah. So you only can do is you know, so much until, nice. you know, but I think it's the follow-up. Most times, I know in the black communities, this is what I see. I see a, a church come to the community, and then they'll pass out some stuff, and people are going to take free stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone loves free stuff, but they know <laughs> they're going to go back to their nice homes, right. and I'm going to go back to, you know, sleeping on the floor. Yeah. There's never any follow-up. Mm. You know, when you follow back up, you show that, hey, okay, well, these people are starting to show that they care about me. Yeah. You know, so it's just the one time you go out there, you pass some stuff out. Okay, we're leaving. Never probably going to come back to this Mm -hmm. place. You know, we're going to go back to where we are. And so the follow-up to me is important. That shows that you care. You know, it's more than that just that one and done and then on to the next a community of poverty, and then just bouncing from community to community, I would say focus on, I would say the closest maybe black community or whatever, closest to you, mm-hmm. and just back Pour and forth. It. And that's how you develop the relationship, those first name bases, you yeah. change phone numbers. Hey, guys, why don't y'all come check it out? Hey, you guys need a, a way to get here, because sometimes rides are... Yeah. Or, or an issue too. So you have to develop a relationship in order to get folks to come in. You know, that one person that you thought you might have reached because he was really happy about the free stuff, he probably don't care. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> the next church is going to come and drop something off too. You know, so right. that's what I think. Just develop a relationship. I would focus, you know, if you have an outreach team, you can maybe focus on one or two, but it's kind of hard bouncing all over yeah. for the to really uh, develop relationships yeah. like that—that's so. good, though. It's good work.
2: You pretty much covered um, <laughs> most of what I would have said. I actually attend a diverse church, so it was—I'm in a unique situation to kind of elaborate on those practices actually working. Hmm. Um, my church—we're just firm believers of just being like the Acts church and really praying and fasting and having prayer first is that foundation, and really. Um, allowing in the Holy Spirit to really draw draw people in. Mm. But we do, we have our outreaches and sometimes we go to the community but sometimes we draw the community in, yeah. and not just give them something free, but you first receive the word and really see um, what Christ has for you, um, and then you get provided those things. It is the follow-up phone calls. We have a peanut butter and jelly bus that goes around the neighborhood to pick up kids, mm-hmm. to draw them in, because when you, once you get the kids, then the parents will start coming too, and that's how we you get me actually, a peanut butter and jelly.
0: <laughs> You'd get me. I'd be there. It's good, though.
2: So, yeah. um those were the things that have been successful um, at my church. And it's just, it's a beautiful sight to see when you can look around and just see everyone and be reminded of heaven. And this is what heaven is supposed to look like and that we all can get along and it's not awkward. And you don't have to tailor to these certain things when you're speaking one language.
0: Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Derek, what about you? you have anything to add?
3: Um, Yeah, I think it's really based on location because if I, I would be concerned if your community was very diverse, but then your church was not, that, right. I think that would be concerning. But like if it, if your church is matching what is in uh, aligned with your community, then um, I would say continue to uh, uh, continue to do what you're doing. Because there's so, like Billy said, there's so many churches. Some people attend churches for different reasons, like they're looking for different things. Some people. Worship is really most important. Sometimes yeah. it's the the pastor and what he's preaching. Sometimes they have kid. Uh, is most most important is the Bible study for their children. So it's really kind of hard to pinpoint like what will add to the diversity of your uh, of your church. But I would say first look at where you're located and is your church matching w- what you're surrounded with. Yeah, so.
0: that's a good word. Yeah. and part of the reason I ask it is because. You know, for me, for, for us, right, for all of us, I think what, where it all begins is, is our own personal circles and spheres of influence, right? So if, if we as individuals are going to take uh, the desire for, for racial reconciliation seriously, then we probably have to break patterns so that we're actually interacting and building bridges with those, those chasms or building bridges across those chasms that exist in our society, which means we have to get out of our comfort zones or into different parts of communities or whatever. And then we have to be willing to invite people to our dinner table before we even think about inviting them to church, right? Because that's where relationship is, is truly fostered. And so once you build significant relationships uh, and meaningful relationships, then. And bringing somebody to church is, is a natural outflow of that relationship. And the reason I want us all thinking about that is the congregation, is because of what you see in the gospel. And Devonis said it so well when you talk about Acts, right? Part of what makes the gospel so incredible is when you see it's for everyone. And, and if we are a church that just by the nature of walking in here, somebody might have to question, oh, I don't know if this is for me then that's something we have to address as a congregation. And it's not, it's not easy, it's not any one thing, and, and I'm not trying to find some sort of simple formula for it, but I think it starts with our own lives and who are we inviting to the dinner table, and, and then letting that have a natural flow, because that's gonna be what leads not just our church, but any church to be able to say, man, the gospel is what unites us. Not, not our socioeconomic level, not our race, you know, but the gospel, so anyway. Um, Great thoughts, great perspective um, we're pretty much through our list of questions I've got one last one which is really just is there anything you left out any any final thoughts or comments that you would share with us today uh, before I, I wrap up with a few final verses from scripture
3: yes I, I have one one thing that I, it was sort of left out, but um, Jeremiah, you mentioned it's it's a hard thing, and there's a lot of stuff going on now. Like corporations are jumping on and and championing the Black Lives Matter movement, and there's um, you know uh, like NASCAR. I think they said you can't they you can't fly the Confederate flag. They're taking down um, statues of c- Confederate soldiers and whatnot. And for me, I just want to say like those things are cool and nice but those are not going to be the answers so i don't like it it's it's a nice gesture but we really need to get to the heart of, of the thing okay. and so don't be confused by um by those actions and thinking that the needle's actually moving um that when the needle moves you'll when it's it's when people's heart are actually changing
0: so amen to that It's yeah. a great word any other final thoughts from either one of you
2: I just wanted to say thank you for giving us this platform um thank you for being vulnerable and being able to allow us to speak our truth and and have a voice in how we've been impacted um through this journey and then being very being um, vulnerable enough to be self-reflective on what can you do to actually make change not just be in your thinking and your feelings but actually what are what actions are you going to take
0: well thank you for sharing it really helps
1: yeah, i want to I want to say, yeah, thanks for having us. I mean this could have been a conversation we had over the phone, right, but you chose to share it with everyone mm-hmm. so that way everyone can kind of look at themselves and and uh, make sure they 're doing their part yeah, and so I think that 's really important I, I This church is great, everyone is friendly i 've never been treated any differently i 'm going to visit when this is over with my family. <laughs> Anytime. You know, I'm bring my family, and we're going to come hang out and worship. So
0: we're going to start working on that peanut butter jelly sandwich truck. By the <laughs> oh, my time son that will now. never leave. You, I love that. You idea. have
1: to take him with you if you, you break out a sandwich. Well,
0: I, so. I can't. Uh, I know I speak on behalf of everyone here and uh, the folks at home. Thank you, and uh, we love you, and Thanks. we appreciate you. And I want to just say a word of, of apology, not uh, in terms of. Oversimplifying it, or even kind of going to what you're saying earlier, Derek, about white, white guilt, but just a genuine sincerity to say your life experience has been different, and for any adversity or challenges that you may have experienced, I hope you know that uh, we love you, and and we hate that that's been a reality for you, and we want to be a part of any sort of solution so that you and your children's generation don't have to face those similar Absolutely. challenges. And so whatever we can do we can keep having this conversation. Um, I'm gonna pray for y'all here in a second, um, but I'm gonna offer some final thoughts for us. I, I know we've gone a little bit longer, but I think it's been good, correct? Yeah, it's been good. So, let me, uh, let me just uh, reiterate a, a thought or two from the passage that you heard, uh, read during our children's sermon, or told during our children's sermon today. I'm not gonna read, no, I am gonna read all of it, and then I'll just, I'll be real brief, okay? The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. and Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he went home, and he posted on Facebook. He changed his profile picture. He tore down statues. He talked about politics. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reverse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. My hope is that we figure out how do we go and bandage wounds. That's a story of a radical and unyielding love for the neighbor. And so our word is the same word that Jesus offered many thousands of years ago. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the chance to listen. We thank you for the chance to be informed. And we ask, God, that you would continue to just stir our hearts towards healing and that you would stir our hearts towards a racial reconciliation that does more than just promote unity and progress, God, but promotes the living work of Jesus Christ. I pray specific prayers for Billy and Devana and Derek today. God, I pray that you would bless their homes, you would bless their families, you would bless their parents their jobs, their occupations, their dreams, God, and that you would just encourage them today and remind them of just how loved they are by by the folks here and and obviously beyond. God, I pray that their stories and their testimonies would continue to encourage us as a church family to be an agent of, of healing, to be an agent of hope, to be a place of radical and unyielding love for the neighbor, God. May we be those who don't pass by May we give thoughtful consideration to what solutions we actually seek by looking within and looking around us, by meeting with people around our own dinner tables and in this very room so that we can once again show just how powerful Jesus is and what he has done for us. So, Father, we thank you. We call upon you. We call upon your Holy Spirit to lead. And for you be the glory, both now and forever. In Jesus' name,
3: amen.